Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Offsite podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos Cavaldo. And I'm Jason Lancini. G'day, Carlos. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I think we need to uh, start kicking off this conversation about when the uh, mandated shutdown of this conversation slash podcast uh, happens over Christmas. We start negotiating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not up for a Christmas Day episode, that's for sure. Oh, uh, where's yeah. the commitment? I think we should, I think we should do take December and January off, not yeah. from work, but from just like we have to go to work <laughs> for sure. But like, yeah, December, Jan, done. That Agreed. isn't the official like Apex shutdown period. Yeah, yeah. So the live chat just disappears and no one can speak to us. The, right. the app just goes offline. All servers yeah. dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh oh, there's no one else. Um, right. So. Today, we're going to tap chat about uh, a bit of a hot topic. And, and anyone mistakenly joining this podcast that is not from a construction background is going to be very disappointed with <laughs> that's, what that's a hot the topic oversell is. of the century. Yeah. Hot topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, every day at the moment, I'm talking to teams about tracking materials. And ultimately, what they're trying to do is produce production rates. It's being driven by the government who have are pushing the sort of modern methods of construction agenda. So contractors are really trying to think through how these things should be done uh, properly with the right technology. But if we go back to sort of the theory, production rates, and we think about production rates, it's like how many cubes of excavation should we be doing per day and how many are we actually doing? And then we can work out what resource levels we are and we can really understand what we're going to achieve over a period of time to determine the outcome. My gut feeling is it's not sort of first nature for engineers, but it is being pushed by project managers. But ultimately, we think about its origin, we have a tender and planners at tender sort of stage will take standard production rates that either a company has or from like textbook type stuff. They'll apply that to their schedules and then that logic built in. But when we actually go to daily and weekly planning, a lot of that information is lost and there's never been like this real consistent way of tracking what we're doing against those original production rates. So. I think to kick off the conversation, who, I guess, in your view, Jason, who should actually own this? Who should own the planning and tracking of quantities of material on site? If I could, uh, if I could answer your question by not answering it, asking you one, uh, another question, uh, like as with your background as like a QS, so, uh, I guess agnostic from like a planner or an engineer, would you, why do you think it is valuable to track? production rates on a project. So you're on a project today. Do you want people to track production rates and why do you think it's valuable? I think the one thing that jumps out the most, which I can see the sort of the most value from is I guess, decision-making. If you're smashing across doing X cubes of excavation per day, there's always this decision on, right? How much resource should we be putting on this? And by knowing your production rates and you want that production rate to be, I guess, as you want as small a variable as possible. Like you don't want to do 500 one day, 1500 the next day. You want to be doing like 99 or 101 because it reduces like the risk profile of where you're going to end up. But by knowing that you can make a decision later. So if you're going to finish an activity two weeks early, but the follow on activity can't start, why over resource to finish two weeks early? You could have less resource and then use the full amount of time and vice versa. If you know you're going to be late because your production rates are low and you actually understand that data, 
you can make a decision to over-resource an activity, which is extra cash, but you can save your program at the other end because you're not going to kick out something that's critical. So I think by actually understanding your production rates, you can make better decisions, but it has to be accurate. Otherwise it's like finger in the air type stuff. Let's put aside, there's a certain type of project, which is a 100% like production rate driven type of project. Like you're building a 400 kilometer pipeline, you're building a 70 span launched bridge with the same thing happening over and over again. You're doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of earthworks or something where the, the vast, vast, vast majority of the project is one action or one like certain production. And the goal is to get to the end of 50 spans or the goal is to get to the end of a couple of hundred kilometers of, of pipeline. Yeah. Production rate tracking makes total sense. No one can argue with that. I don't think. And so let's like put that project type to the side because those are, I don't think anyone on those projects are not tracking production rates. They are production rate type jobs. But then you get like the sort of multidisciplinary friendly project. It's a, it gets uh, a little bit more woolly. And you were talking before about like the history of it or like the origin of it. And I have a theory that like part of the origin of it is if you start with a schedule, like a, a master schedule for your project and someone has spent the time to resource load it with labor or materials or whatever it is, it's like kind of a mathematically pretty or clean way to measure whether you're making or losing money by tracking the production against a loaded resource in that schedule. Part of my theory is like you, some people do it because in lieu of better measures of performance, it's the, it's a way you can do it based on the data from what the plan is, but it, it, it's not, it has flaws, right? So let's think about the, the project. It's a multidisciplinary friendly project. There's like some structures, there's some electrical, uh, maybe there's like some fit out component. If you are, if you've, if someone's come and like resource loaded that schedule with whatever labor or, um, some sort of material. First of all, it's almost never going to be accurate, the resource loading. So you pick any individual activity in there, four weeks, build uh, deck two concrete or something. It's like a couple hundred cubic concrete loaded on a task that's going to take three weeks. And in reality, you pour all of that concrete on one day at the end of the task. There's like a messiness to it that doesn't allow you to produ track production rate of that type of task. Then there's like another thing that can happen, which is whatever resource you load into the schedule is kind of like treated like an incentive you, you, because you start measuring against it, like, like an earned value against, you know, we've loaded, I don't know, labor hours or whatever in there. Uh, let's say you've got a project, you're tracking cubic meters of concrete as your measure of production, and you've got a component of electrical. Well, the incentive, the incremental incentive for everyone on the project every month is to do concrete over electrical because that's the measure. So I think that like, yeah, uh, I guess to summarize my, my thinking on it is that putting aside the projects where production rate tracking is like obvious and the own, the primary tool that you would use multidisciplinary friendly projects need to be careful about how they use production rate tracking. Yeah. So I guess three aspects there. One, yes, it's like a clear and obvious, if you're doing like repetitive precast segments, things like that, it's just obviously you're doing production rates because Everything is centered around that. Multidisciplinary, yeah. Like if you're looking at something that's like highly bespoke and, and everything is unique and it's not 
tested in any way, it's going to be really difficult. And you would sort of question the value, even though you still need to do add value and you still need to pay subbies and both of those things, you need to know the quants anyway. So why wouldn't you at least track it to try and use that information in the, in the right way. But if we think about, so let's take highways, there's no offsite manufacture, maybe barriers, but let's ignore that. Like the majority of the works are earthworks, drainage, surfacing, that sort of stuff. Like they're the big components. So it is all on site and there's a massive drive to track production rates in that. And they want the like production line thinking without having a production line. So they're not doing anything offsite, but they need to have that, that thought. But the thing that they're getting really <laughs> excited is a bit much of a word for this. I'm not sure anyone gets excited about production rates, but the thing that's really important to them is to be able to take those production rates that you're doing right now and then apply that to the master schedule. Because I might have a few planners bark at me for assuming that they don't do this, but I don't know if planners constantly update production rates in their master schedule to keep looking at the end date. And what highways are trying to do at the moment is, right, based on the last month, we're achieving X per day for each of these like five core materials. So let's plug those into the master schedule and see where we are. And then make decisions based on right out of these five production rates. Technically this third one is the one that's going to drive the program. If we continue at the same rate. So let's think about improving that or over-resourcing it. So without tracking this, you can't do that exercise really, because you need to know planned actual points plus resource. Yeah, but you, you, um, you almost certainly will be tracking it. And like you said, you'll be tracking all that information for, uh, already for a bunch of other reasons, like paying people and paying, uh, paying like a quarry or paying a, a subcontractor. And so it goes back to like, probably your first question, which is who's responsible for it. If I've got a schedule, which is got production rates baked into it from a tender that makes some sort of generic assumptions over the length of the task, this production rate for doing drainage. And we're tracking the length of, or how much drainage we've installed because we need to pay a sub that's doing it or whatever the reason is. I would expect that team is tracking the production rate to that and running scenarios. But like, if I put my engineer hat on, I don't actually need to be, you don't need me to do any work for that. The planning team would have their, the plan data. Our project should have a, a, a mechanism for capturing the actuals, whether it's dockets coming in from quarries, uh, invoices from subbies, whatever the, 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 the source of the actual is. I would expect the people are running scenarios, but like, don't give me another, I'm already doing 15 jobs to run the project. Don't give me another one. But if you think about, let's take the example of payment. So the QS is paying the drainage subby. Based on former contract, the QS is either paying labor or they're going to pay like activity schedule meters of duct blade or whatever that is. So you still don't have both. So whose responsibility is it to capture the other? If only one of them is needed. Yeah, but you're the QS. Why wouldn't you let the contract on the basis of what the, the thing, what drives value for us, you know, like if, if, if the thing that we need to get done is 600 meters of drainage, let the contracts and pay it on schedule rates of meters of drainage. Don't, don't measure it on like widgets installed of some other thing. <laughs> it's kind of dreamland that you're going to get QSs to let contracts based on the metrics that the planning project controllers and project managers want to capture. Yeah, but they're the same people that are coming to the engineers like three months later being like, how many meters of thing were installed? Like (laughs) you let the, let the contract. Yeah. So if we think about where this was 
I, if we think about a typical project now, so we've got contractors now thinking, right, we really need to capture this in a, like a regimented way using the right tools and that sort of stuff. This information was captured traditionally where? A side diary? Yeah, it varies. So some projects will capture it. A side diary, I mean, side diary is uh, inherently bad at consistently capturing it because it's got so much other, other info in there. You don't know if you've missed some, got some, whatever. So it's, it's inherently a like bad way to capture the actuals. There's usually a, some sort of, someone makes, guess what they do, mate? They won't go and open a spreadsheet and they <laughs> put a column for the material that they're tracking or whatever it is. And then per day, how much is going in? And someone gets the job of going to fill in that spreadsheet in. Yeah. And they're probably batching them two weeks at a time. Yeah. The, the things that, yeah, wh one of the things that happened, and we've had previous guests join us and talk about this all the time, like the, the job of an engineer has uh, expanded and expanded to cover all of the like inefficient gaps that uh, around how we run our project. There's a bit of information we need. Well, the person that must know about it is the engineer. So let's go ask the engineer to fill out another spreadsheet. So, okay, we want to start tracking production rates of, you know, widgets installed. Oh, engineer, can you fill out this spreadsheet every day? Oh, we want to do a, we want to give a four-week forecast of how many widgets we're going to need. Oh, engineer, can you do another spreadsheet for that? We want to work out how many widgets a day and night shift. Do another spreadsheet for that. And so like, yeah, definitely like you can't disagree that production rate tracking is something that projects should do on certain types of projects. I still, they still say that there's some that it's, you got to be really careful about, but I would say going back to your first question, who should do it? I, engineers need the output. I don't know if they're the, I don't, I don't know if you're getting a real good return on investment if you're paying engineers to, to source the input. Okay. So parking the responsibility capture here, let's jump forward. Sorry, I'm hung up on it. <laughs> We'll go forward a few years. Let's assume we've got the right technology, which automatically captures the actuals, right? So it's just, it's being done. It's no one's responsibility. When it comes to planning, that sort of information would be perfect in like a co-pilot situation of someone planning to do an activity that has quants and something goes, hey, that's never happened because you haven't done that once like this year on your projects based on that resource level. Can you see us getting to that point? I can see us. I can see us making co-pilot suggestions, but I, to, to get them to a spot where they're actually accurate, the, the problem, the problem ends up quite often at a, at a master schedule where all of the detail is a little bit obfuscated and you make a task that says drainage, you know, changing zero to a thousand and the production rate that you assume is an all in production rate that captures setup, mobilization, demob testing, the thing that you would tender the job on for sure. Look, uh, and then you, in that case, it almost doesn't make sense to track production rate because the production rate that you're actually measuring is actual production. So not the all in rate. So there's, a, there's, it's like, it's what it's like, are you measuring apples against apples or apples against oranges? Um, because the conversation that, you know, the reason for us talking about this is you, you've had this conversation at the, like the six week look ahead level a lot. I just think that the production rate that goes into the task at a level five schedule is a different production rate to the production rate that's in the master schedule and probably a different production rate to the one that's in the tender. And so the, the level five schedule production rate is more closely mapped to the actual, but then it goes to like, what's the incremental value for building that level five plan fully resource load? Because I think like the production rate tracking, because it's a fully loaded production rate for 
a tender or for a master schedule, you really just need to know total widgets start and end and you average it because that's how you tender it. You don't really need to, I don't know if you know how much value is to say like you did four days of setup, we did five days of work at this rate and then another four days because the next tender, you're probably going to roll it into the, the fully, you know, the spread rate. So that's why I'm a bit like, I'm not like the most pumped up about tracking production rates every day for every activity, blah, 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 and putting it into a level five schedule. Because definitely like the job of putting that into a level five schedule is a lot of work. And I would only do it for those jobs where we're doing the same thing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Don't know if you agree. Yeah, the it's going to change as you go through the levels uh, for sure. But ultimately what we want is like detailed actual information driving top level planning. And that's what, that, that's the real gap, isn't it? Because like tender teams, I've been on a project before where like they had office sent like a spreadsheet and said, you fill in production rates and you just, <laughs> you just fill it in and you're like, I'll give you a tip. There's old companies that run on that system. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's so, I, I'm, so inaccurate. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, you know, we've spoken to projects as well where they employ someone to do that and they just make they the, the numbers are fudge because of the problem of like the schedule has got like this sort of blended production rate that captures the setup demo, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I'm probably going to get, you know, for any, I'm probably going to get messages from planners being like, no, 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 this is very important or whatever. But I just, I just, you know, I just think fundamentally it's not measuring apples against apples. And in order to get an apples for apples measurement, you really need to build in a lot of work at like the level five. And I, for an engineer to do that, it's just, I, I don't know if the return on investment is there for their time. Yeah. I think there's a real decision to make as well. It seems like these contractors are just focusing on the two or three core components of the, of the makeup of the scheme. Whereas before, I think the, the thought went, we need to track all materials and like, there's no value from that. Like there's going to be two or three key things that drives the entire project, like rebar with concrete or surfacing and excavation with highways. And that makes a lot more sense. Um, rather, rather than trying to do everything, but then having so much data, you can't really action it or do anything about it. And it's just sort of dead information. Yeah. The, any process that requires, there's got to be a better way than currently exists to capture the actual rates that we did stuff. Because yeah, any spreadsheet that someone makes on a project last, you know, within two weeks, we forgot to update it for last week. And then yep. before some deadline in three weeks time, I have to open it up, find it again, make up all the numbers in the middle. There's got to be a, you know, like you said, fast forwarding a period, it's got to be from either quality records, you know, depend how fast, filed we, how far we fast forward, you know, maybe there's cameras watching that measure it and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, quality my, my, makes a lot of sense. Like that's where we really should be paying to. Like QS should do pay off the quality records, not have a look at site and go, yeah, you've done. Look, Excellent. Lots of projects in Australia, that's 100% what happens. You don't, you know, quality yeah. lot not close submitted, you don't get paid. And so that process and that feedback of payment to, to the quality record drives really good, well, one, really good quality records and and timely like close out of it. But yeah, you can start using that like, because there's a feedback loop of do this, get that, that's important to the project. It always happens. And then you can start relying on it for, yeah, lots of things on a project. So your quality records become really um, 
really important. And talking to, I was speaking to, to a friend recently who does like forensic analysis for for contractors and claims and stuff. Primary source of records for them uh, in establishing claims is usually quality records, especially in Australia. Like the site diary is there, but it's it you know it's intermittently completed and it's completed to varying standards. Whereas there's a because there's such a feedback loop on the quality record tied to payment, you want to know when the concrete was poured. Well, the quality record, you know, the poor inspection or whatever it is, is going to prove when it happened. Yeah, makes sense. Right. You managed to slag off QSs and pick up engineers in one shot. That is <laughs> job done. It's <laughs> job done, right? That's all we got time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks.